Hey, welcome back to the pod. It is Hannah here, and I am recording this intro after I have already recorded the episode, but I felt that it needed an intro. Today, we are talking about training expectations and goals. Very interesting topic, in my opinion, and I get into some of the goals that people have sent in to me that they have with their dog, just break them down and discuss them, and I also chat a little bit about training expectations, which is a very, very important topic for every dog handler to consider. Um, So I did not get to all of the training goals I wanted to discuss in this episode because I got to talking. (laughs) Uh, However, I will continue this, um, I guess, continue this episode and talk about the other training goals that people sent in to me because I think they're all very interesting and I want to discuss all of them. So without uh, ranting and talking too much, Thank you for being here. Thank you for listening. Very much appreciated. Please, you know, subscribe to me on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you listen. Leave a rating or review and share with a friend if you would like to do that. And let's get into today's episode. Today I'm discussing training goals and expectations. So this topic came up because I was asking people on Instagram to tell me what their training goals with their dogs are. And the reason I asked that was because I was just curious um, in general. I feel like I work with a lot of really similar things over and over again, which are really interesting to me, Um, namely like a lot of reactivity and socialization based issues. But I often when I ask people that I work with what their training goals are, because their dogs are struggling with things like bite history, explosive reactivity, so they can't really bring them anywhere, Um, like crazy pulling and agitation on the leash so they also can't bring them anywhere, things like that at first, their training goals are just to get their dogs to a baseline point where they can kind of like exist in the world and maybe socialize, um, which is a starting point and I highly, highly respect that people are willing to put in the time and the work that it does take to get their dog to that baseline. Um, But it can definitely cause me to become, uh, to have like a lack of perspective on further training goals once people have reached a point where they are living comfortably with their dogs. And I will say, I think, you know, if you've reached a point where you're living comfortably with your dog, you don't necessarily need to have training goals past that. If your life with your dog is going well, they're, you know, they have a good lifestyle, you have a good lifestyle with them. You don't necessarily need to have the most highly trained or best trained dog out there, especially the average person with a dog. Um, And not to say that that's what people's goals and expectations that I'm going to talk about will be. But that's kind of what led me to this topic because I think for a long time, like for years, I really focused on a lot of rehab and with a lot of clients whose dogs were struggling, there were, um, especially a few years ago when I kind of would take on clients who just wanted to book a session, let's just say a lot of people don't realize your dog's not going to be fixed, quote unquote, in one session. And I would attract a lot of clients who were seeking that option because I made it an option. Like I'll just do one session with you. And I had all these clients who were basically 
ready to give up on their dog or basically had issues with their dogs for years and didn't really want to put in like months or even years of work to resolve those things. Um, and so that's a lot of what I saw is just like try and get dogs to just like the baseline of functioning in their homes, let alone in society. Um, but now I'm a lot more selective with letting people know like you're not going to probably resolve aggression in one session. In fact, I highly doubt that you will. And so now that I've adjusted expectations for my clients, I think I attract a lot different clientele, people who understand that, yeah, dog training, it's a journey. It's not a destination and it's a lifelong thing. And so, you know, long story, that kind of brings me to the point of this episode today, which is to talk about training goals that people specifically sent me on Instagram. And I want to talk about what were the most popular training goals that people sent in. I want to discuss them. I want to give my feedback on them. And then in general, I want to discuss the concept of training goals and expectations. Um, because I think that like I said, training, it is a journey, not a destination. And I say that because to me, training your dog is more about living with your dog and our lives are going to go through changes and therefore our dogs are going to go through changes. And it's important for me to have a strong training foundation with my dogs, but also to recognize that new behaviors can pop up or old behaviors can uh, be regressed back into during the changes in life or just during the process of life. And that's okay. It doesn't mean that you are further away from your goals. Um, it just is a realistic expectation that people need to have. And it's important to understand that when it comes to working with dogs, training is never finished. And it is something that you can have a foundation for and you absolutely should, but also don't have too many expectations on yourself and your dog to well, A, ever be perfect, but also once you've reached a goal, don't expect necessarily that um, challenges won't arise. And it's okay if they do, because as long as your foundation of love and trust with your dog is the most important thing, which I think it should be, you can uh, you can face challenges together without putting the blame on your dog and without being too hard on yourself, Okay. <laughs> Lesson that I've had to learn many times over, I will say. So yeah, that's basically, I guess that is everything I wanted to say about training expectations. I really wanted to make that point for people. Um, it's super important to me in my training. Handler responsibility is really my number one emphasis. And also for people to not overly take responsibility and blame themselves or blame um or like feel like their dog is failing or they're failing when regressions or challenges happen because it will happen and that's okay. So that's all I'll say on that for now. Let me get in to the most common uh, training goals that people told me that they have. So I'm just going to go through and find where I have them screenshotted. So let me see here. All right, I'm going to read, I think I'll just read through everything that people sent in and then we'll go back and discuss. So I won't say who, I don't know if people want to re remain anonymous or not, but here's the first one. Less distracted on a walk by other pups, not eating 
Uh, next one. <laughs> not eating delicious things we find on our walks. We've got practicing leash drills to help with leash frustration each day for 10 minutes. That's more of a handler goal, which love that. Uh, to stop mouthing out of excitement. We've been working on this forever. I hear you. That is definitely not an ideal thing and good to want to work through it. Uh, calm car rides. Okay. Neutrality with other dogs and people. We've got to get to a point where we can feel confident fostering with our dog again. We have neutrality and calmness when strangers engage with us. Building drive. To go to a pet, a pet store or a dog-friendly store and remain calm around dogs and strangers. Walk by strangers on walks and remain calm and neutral and focused on me. Walk by all dogs and remain calm and neutral. Stay until I release. Recall. Heel walk to puppies. Getting a reliable cue for walking or running behind me when needed. Uh, we've also got better engagement with me rather than scoping for friends on walks and to be more neutral around other people and dogs because not everyone is a friend. And then finally we have, have him spend four hours alone without freaking out. We're at five minutes currently. So off the bat reading those, I feel like they're all really realistic goals, which is cool. Um, Definitely there are times where I work with people where I feel like their dogs have unrealistic goals or they have unrealistic goals for their dogs. And that's always something that obviously needs to be addressed. But so I want to go through these. I was going to say this because I already did read them. I just didn't remember exactly what all of them were. But I knew that neutrality with dogs and people was one of the main things that people were saying that their goals are. And it's probably because that's something I talk about a lot is neutrality. Um, and so I wanted to start with that topic right now because it is something that I talk about a lot and something that I have quite a few thoughts on. So I brought this concept up again on Instagram. I feel like I've talked about Instagram so much. I just do a lot of my content creation on there, I guess, and share a lot of my thoughts and my work on there. So, um, Chances are things that I talk about on here, I've already talked about on there. But so on there, I was talking about this concept that I had been thinking about, which is essentially viewing neutrality as a spectrum um, and wanting to define neutrality, what it means to me and what it means to people when they're working with their dogs. Because so many people, their goal is neutrality. And I do think there's a lot of value in that. Like for me, with socialization, neutrality is one skill within socialization. Obviously, proper interactions is another skill. Um, but like somebody had mentioned, not every dog or person is a friend or like from the other point of view for a lot of dogs, not every person or a dog is necessarily a threat that you need to engage with in a defensive display or a fearful display. So when it comes to neutrality, I, like I said, I think it's on a spectrum because there's like totally ignoring a stimulus. That's obviously a degree of neutrality or like maybe the highest level of neutrality, but some polite curiosity or even some slight excitement to me is still within an acceptable realm 
within the spectrum of neutrality. And I say that especially because I really, for me, and again, this is my definition, and I encourage you, especially if this is a goal for you and your dog, I encourage you to define what neutrality is for yourself, just so you have a really clear picture of what you want your goal to be. But for me, um, yeah, I want my dogs to be able to be neutral and polite and ignore things and uh, be able to disengage from like, quote unquote, triggers or stimulus. But my number one value really with my dogs is for them to have really good social skills. That's super important to me just personally. And that doesn't mean that they have to be friends with everybody. It just means that I don't want them to be like, I want them to be confident. So I don't want them to feel threatened by stimulus. And I, of course, I don't need them to be friends with every person or dog, but I like when they're outgoing because I'm an outgoing person. I like being friendly. Do I want to talk to every person or dog? No, I absolutely don't. There's a lot of people that I don't vibe with, but in general, I like to consider myself, I mean, in case you haven't noticed, I like to talk a lot and I consider myself a friendly and outgoing person. So it's a value I hold for myself and my dogs. Um, So for me, if they're showing some polite interest, for example, let's say within the context of a leash walk, as long as they're not pulling into the leash, which I don't want for me or for them, because it's not comfortable for either of us. And it also makes our communication on leash uh, lacking. But as long as they're just showing some interest while still relatively staying within their lane, that's very acceptable within the spectrum of neutrality for me personally. I have one dog who was fear reactive and I say was, I don't consider her habitually fear reactive. Does she have some reactions in some challenging situations? Yeah, you know, for sure. Especially because as hopefully like lockdown being a thing of the past, I've been able to bring her a lot into a lot of situations that she has not had access to in years. And so as new challenges arise, yes, she has had some reactions, but habitually I don't consider her to be fear reactive at this point, but she has that history. And that's something that I do take into account. And so seeing her show polite, positive interest for me is almost better than her ignoring a trigger so or a former trigger or something that could potentially be a trigger such as passing dogs on walks so if i see her look over at a dog on walks and like wag her tail i'm fine with that i'd be actually really happy with that i'd be happier with that than her ignoring a dog walking past although i'd be fine with her ignoring too um, because what would happen in the past would be tail up hackles up staring hard staring maybe even a reaction and a lunging so for me, her um, her neutrality is like, the goal for me is more, yeah, be neutral and ignore the dog. That's totally fine. But if you're going to show some polite interest, I'm pretty cool with that. Whereas I have another dog who was more of like a overly outgoing dog, quote unquote, and still can be. He's a very confident social dog. And I love that about him. I love his outgoing nature. Um, But he would be the type of dog who would drag me to a new person. And that was partially my own fault because I had reinforced that behavior by um, not advocating for him with new people. But for him, yeah, like again, still, I'm totally comfortable with a little bit of polite interest, but I understand the perspective of somebody who has a dog like that, not wanting them to be all over people because it's unpleasant as a handler to feel your dog's checking out from you. It's obviously not ideal 
uh, if a person or dog doesn't want to greet them to have a dog like rushing into their space. But again, as long as he's staying within the boundaries in general, not hitting the end of the leash, I can still communicate with him via the leash or other forms of engagement. I'm okay with some polite interest. Um, so when people were talking to me about neutrality, when people were submitting their training goals about neutrality, I know most of the people who said them. And I know that most of those people, there's a variety within them. There's definitely the dogs that are a bit more fearful. And then there's the dogs that are what you could consider like overly social. Like I wouldn't necessarily say they're overly social, but maybe a little bit too disengaged from their human. Um, And so the neutrality piece they want that goal for different reasons. And that's just kind of what I wanted to discuss. I think that in all those cases, it's very valuable, a very, very valuable goal because to have a well-socialized dog, they need to be able to be passive to a degree, like comfortable not being part of every situation, to be able to move in the world together with somewhat of a neutral state of mind or at least neutral behavior. But so I wanted to chat more specifically about both those sides of the spectrum, the dog that is a little bit more fearful, the dog that is, so I guess three, three points, the dog that's a little more fearful, the dog that's a little bit more like frustrated, reactive, and then the dog that's friendly and social. Now, so, and like I said, I have three dogs and they're, they've been on each, each point in this spectrum. So I feel like I've lived it and I understand the mechanisms behind it within the dog and I have strategies to work through each of these different issues you could say. So when it comes to the overly social dog now a lot of these dogs not the one that I know the one that asked or that submitted the goal not her but a lot of these dogs are socialized at the dog park and so what happens is that all of their time or the majority of their time spent around dogs is like they get to interact freely. So then being on leash and being expected to walk past another dog, it can cause a lot of confusion and frustration because now they're being restrained. And then they're also like, why can't I say hi? Or maybe your dog doesn't go to the dog park, but they do get to sometimes say hi to dogs on leash, maybe sometimes don't, or people, and they're confused on like, what are the boundaries of this? Sometimes I get to say hi, and I love saying hi, but right now you're not letting me. Maybe if I try a little harder, you'll let me go say hi. And so my strategy for those dogs, it's two parts. Number one is I do actually want them to practice some like intentionally neutral socialization. So If you have dog friends that you bring them with, or if you go to a dog park, I want them to spend some time like intentionally disengaged from dogs. So that can look like, okay, me and my dog friend, like we're meeting up for a play date. We're gonna spend part of the play date just walking together and not engaging. Or we go to the dog park, okay, after my dog plays, I'm gonna take them out of the dog park. I'm gonna do a little training and engagement with them, and then we can go back in. So they can spend some time in a context with dogs where they're not necessarily engaging with dogs. That's important. I do feel that um, it's important for them to actually practice like setups of the behavior you want. But the other thing that I do is I like to make neutrality a default. And then I like to create a cue that's for go ahead and engage. So essentially for me, my neutral with dogs or my default with dogs is we're just going to pass by and be neutral because 
like we said, not everyone's a friend. However, when we do want you to say hi, we're going to say, go say hi. And that's your cue to go interact with the other dog. If we stop um, and start to talk to a person, I would like to give my dog some information and let them know that, hey, you're not going to go lunge into this dog's space. I will dictate the terms of this interaction. So whether that's leash pressure that you previously conditioned, that's my usually go-to. I'll have a dog comfortable understanding that leash pressure is a cue to stop. Or you can give them an obedience command like a sit or uh, give me eye contact. Anything to interrupt that pattern of my dog sees a person or a dog and they're lunging right to them. And this is in the context where if you are actually doing a greeting. So you've already stopped, you've already decided you're going to greet the person. Then you would give them their cue, leash pressure or sit or whatever, and then give it a second or two at least. You can say, go say hi, and then allow your dog to move forward. And if so, that's going to show them over time, go say hi is the cue to interact. If I don't hear this cue, my default is to be neutral with a new person or a dog in a greeting setting. So that even when it comes to, yeah, we're going to, I know, me, the handler knows we're going to interact. I still want my dog to know there are conditions to this. There are boundaries to this of how we do this social interaction. You get your social interaction. You're getting the reward you want and you're getting rewarded for cooperating with your handler. So it's a win-win. Now, when it comes to passing a dog or person, that's also important as well. So if we're not going to say hi, well, there's no go say hi cue. So over time, your dog's going to learn. That's when we say hi is when you say go say hi. There's no go say hi cue. And here's what we're going to do. So a lot of times you're going to get a dog that's going to start to stop and slow down and even lie down. And that's the dog being like, pretty sure I control this interaction. I'm the one that gets to decide we say hi. And I do not want that. Even though if there's a social intention, that's the type of dog that's going to rush a dog off leash. Like that's the type of dog that's going to have the mindset of like, I see another dog, human, take a back seat. I'm dealing with this dog, whether it's polite and friendly or not. It's not ideal. So if my dog starts to slow down and check out, I speed up. I want to counterbalance what they're doing. And the last thing I want to do is slow down and stop with my dog. It's like you're basically telling your dog, yeah, dog, slow down, stop, lunge at that dog. I'm along for the ride. So I don't want to confuse my dog into thinking that I agree with their decision to go greet every single dog. So I will speed up and call my dog along with me. And then once my dog is back somewhat tuned in, I can go back to a normal pace. You can absolutely use commands, rewards, distractions, whatever you want to use. Like use what you want to use. Communicate with your dog. But what I'm telling you is if you're letting your dog dictate the terms of interactions. And by the way, uh, the person who sent this in, I don't think she's doing this. Um, But just as a general, something that I've noticed overall with people and their dogs. If you're letting your dog dictate the terms of your interactions, especially habitually, which means like, a lot of times. I don't know. Uh, Probably everyone knows what that means. Um, Then they're going to keep doing it. So, okay. Don't like, don't worry if your dog drags you to one dog. It's not the end of the world. Like think of it as a learning experience or if it ever does happen. Okay. What can I do next time? Oh yeah. Hannah said, redirect my dog by moving faster, moving away from the other dog, engaging them with me, redirecting them. 
Um, I would keep it pretty positive because like, like I said, I really, really, really value social skills in dogs. So to me, a dog that wants to be friendly, like that's not a correctable offense by any means, but I would want to redirect them and re-engage them. Even if it's something as simple as speeding up and saying this way. And then when they, when I feel them speeding up with me, good boy, here's a treat or go back to a normal pace. Okay. Go have a sniff break, whatever. That's my strategy for the dog that is very friendly, but maybe overly so to the point where they're not really able to be neutral. Now for the more fearful dogs, it can be a little bit different. So again, I want to keep it pretty positive because I want to make my dogs feel better around passing things. So like my dog who used to be fear reactive, she would hackle up, get really intense, like get a little stressed out. She might do the slow down and stop thing, but it would be because she's like, do I need to fight this dog? And I really perpetuated the problem for a long time, honestly, because I would correct her. I would get annoyed. I would get frustrated. I would be like, okay, stop. Like you need to be better than this. And that only confused her further and made her have more of a negative association with passing dogs. So I had to really scrap that strategy and make it really positive with her. like positive to neutral on my end, because that's what I want from her. So now passing dogs is like no big deal at all. Even if like a dog is reacting to at her or to her staring at her, I can still redirect her in a positive way um, because that's what we've practiced now. And she does feel a lot better because I know I'm advocating for her. I'm not letting a dog that she's uncomfortable with go into her space. So those are um, by the way, this podcast is very ranty. Normally I would write out a very specific like note, uh, organized like breakdown. Um, so if you're listening to this, let me know if that's a lot better. <laughs> I'm trying to get all the information in, but maybe in just more of a casual style. Um, but yeah, let me know what you think. But so those are the two things for a dog that is more fearful is to keep it positive when you're redirecting them. And then number two, advocate for them. Whereas for the dog that's a little bit more overly social, again, we want to keep it positive and redirect, but we also want to create more boundaries for them. So when it, so we're, we're kind of trying to create a boundary around our dog that's overly social. Whereas with the fearful dog, we want to create a boundary for what the other person or what the other dog is doing. And that's advocating for our dog. So basically like we need to understand what what level is our dog comfortable with can they pass a dog like across the street or a person across the street okay that's like that's where we'll work at for now if not or you know what i mean like can they pass closer fine can i stop and talk to a person from 10 feet away and my dog be okay like comfortable feeling that um Again, with the dogs that are more fearful, when it comes to advocating, a lot of it is about space. I want my dogs to know that I will control the space so they do not have to use displays of aggression or displays of fear to try and like control the space themselves. Or to, not because, and I don't mean this in like dogs are like wanting to be in control some of them are most of them aren't i mean it just because if they think that's their role they're gonna take that role 
like. But if you take that role, then they can feel like, okay, you've got this, so I don't have to. And it can really build a lot of trust. So yeah, for my girl who is fear reactive, I would advocate for her when it came to social situations. So when it comes to doing pass-bys, if I feel a dog is very intense, I will put myself in between her and the dog so that she doesn't feel like she has to face them. Not anymore. We've kind of graduated past that step, but it's something that in close quarters I probably still would do. Um, But now when we're just passing with some space in between, I don't anymore. Um, That could look like obviously telling somebody, hey, my dog's not comfortable with new dogs. I don't say my dog's not friendly. I have bully breed dogs and I feel like there's like obviously stigma about the breed and I don't want to be like, hey, they're not friendly Uh, because they are friendly, but they're just not always comfortable with new dogs or at least one of them. So I just say that. That's my line. It's not, I don't say like they're not friendly. I say they're not comfortable with new dogs and people kind of can see like, okay, got it. It's not that like, your dog's not friendly. It's just that they're uncomfortable and it's kind of like reframing that. So I like that script. Feel free to use it. But so when it comes to if people are trying to bring their dogs or their human into my space, that's my that's my script. That's my advocacy for my dog who might be nervous. If the person's still approaching or the dog, even when you say, hey, my dog's not comfortable with new people, I put my hand out like in their face if I have to hey, my dog's not comfortable with new people. Like, I don't care about being rude because realistically, in most cases with the dogs I'm handling, I'm saving that person from being lunged at or like potentially bit, even though I'll probably have a muzzle on a dog that's a bite risk. I mean, I will have a muzzle on a dog that's a bite risk, but um, a lot of dogs can become a bite risk that you didn't think would be if they feel enough pressure from a new human. So I'm very, very, very strict about advocating. And if one day somebody talks, stops to talk to me on the street and they're across the street and my dog is okay, again, I can put my dog on the other side of me. I can go in between them just to show them like, I'm a buffer, I'm advocating for you. And if they're okay with a person talking to me across the street, okay, I'll take note of that. Oh, are they starting to stiffen up, get really intense when a person starts to get closer? Put my hand out. Hey, my dog's a little bit nervous around you people. Do you mind just staying there and talking to me from over there? Like, awesome. I really appreciate it. And go from there. Um, in my experience, you can really increase a window of tolerance with your dog from doing it this way. I mentioned muzzles, really, really good way to help advocate for a nervous dog because less people are going to get it in your space if they see a dog wearing a muzzle. Not everybody. Some people still reach their hand out to pet because apparently some humans are completely oblivious to other people's needs and other dogs needs but it's going to significantly decrease the amount of people getting into your dog's space so that's my advice for the dog that's a little more fearful or nervous advocate and keep it super positive and honestly like i said don't don't beat yourself up if they're doing wrong don't expect them to do well like just have expectations on yourself <laughs> to stand up for them um and if you're like i know what it's like dealing with a fear reactive dog it's it's like i mean i love that work i'm very happy to do it but i know what it's like to be in a point where i'm struggling with my mental health and i don't necessarily have the capacity to do it every day or even most days and what i tell people and the advice that i live by as well is if i'm not up for it don't bring them into a challenging situation just do something that's as easy as possible um i've had clients who are like just so amazing about 
being in tune with their mental health ups and downs and saying like, yeah, this week I just wasn't up for doing any training, but I treadmilled my dog every day and we did enrichment and next week we're going to go back to it. And I really, really respect and commend that because I think if you're having a bad mental health day, basically the worst thing you can do is feel like you have to be responsible for your dog's mental health. (laughs) I mean, at least for me, it's never ended well every time I've been stressed and felt like I had low capacity, uh, just like highly triggered state of mind myself. It's always ended badly with how I treat my dogs and the way I show up for them. And so that's an important piece of advice to recommend as well. But so that's pretty much all of my thoughts, I think, on neutrality uh, presented in what hopefully was not too much of a scattered way. Um, To recap, I do feel like there's a spectrum of neutrality and a little bit of attention is not necessarily a bad thing. I personally don't necessarily want my dogs to be like horses with blinders on and to just ignore every stimulus. I have no problem with them looking at things, checking stuff out, um, you know, uh, being somewhat active in how they take in their environment. But my kind of boundary, so to speak, would be asking them to stay within the boundary of the leash, which means not pulling into the leash in that environment if they are on leash. Um, If they're showing some interest, because it's positive interest or fearful interest, I recommend redirecting them at that point rather than correcting because I do not think that them showing some interest um, is a punishable offense. That's my opinion. Like even if my dog's starting to pull me over to another person, it's like, yeah, that's not you can still say no, like absolutely have a negative marker, like, no, I disagree with that. But I would want to keep it positive in the sense of like, nope, come here. Or like this way, like keep them with you. Keep If they want to engage with another dog, make yourself, like give them a little bit of engagement with you to be like, hey, I know you want social interaction. So that's fine. Here, you can have some with me and like, you know, we'll keep it moving because not every dog is a friend. And like I said, we'll create the boundaries for the social interaction with that dog. If you if you have a dog like that really wants to say hi to other dogs and never gets to, or for that matter, if you have a dog that seems like they're aggressive to dogs, they might need some structured socialization as well. They might need some positive exposure to other dogs as well. Um, uh, that's something that I really firmly stand by, but that's kind of getting off the topic, I guess. But yeah, so two points essentially for the dog that is very outgoing. I want to keep it pretty positive. I want to make sure I'm following through with directing them with me or redirecting them with me really through movement and engagement. So I'm not letting them dictate the stopping or the momentum towards the other person, even if that means I have to change directions and turn around. So I'm directing the interaction and I'm setting the boundaries of when they can go say hi. And I'm keeping it positive because It's a good thing that they want to be social. Honestly, take it from me. Somebody who works with a lot of dogs who are afraid socially, it is a better, not to say it's a better problem to have, but it is like kind of cool. I like when dogs are really social. And then when it comes to the dog that is more fearful, two points on that end. Number one, advocate. Just fucking advocate for them. Don't let people get in their space. Figure out what their threshold is and 
kind of work at a point where they're maybe a little uncomfortable, but they can still be present enough to see that you are advocating for them and you're keeping others out of their way. Um, like again, keep like keep, keeping people out of their space, keeping dogs out of their space and showing them that you're the one who is in control of that space and in, in control of doing that is going to increase their window of tolerance. And then, um, it's going to make them be able to ha be like have a greater ability to feel neutral, like truly feel neutral, not just like physically not look at the dog. I want them to actually emotionally feel more neutral rather than more charged up. Um, and then again, keep it pretty positive. Like I do think that I'm not really getting into like reactivity necessarily when I'm talking about this, whether it's like frustration based or fear based, but um, just talking about like working at their threshold kind of thing at this point. I know that's, it's a different topic reactivity, but when it comes to neutrality, I do want it to be pretty positive. I, that's just my experience. I found that being firm and, and really like correcting or, or having an issue with it makes my dogs have more of an issue with it. And there's just no harm in redirecting. It builds their engagement with you. It builds their ability to check out from uh, triggering or distracting stimulus and check back in with you. It it actually makes like for my dog who is fear reactive, she's so much happier and more confident passing dogs now because she really feels like, oh, it's no big deal. Whereas when I was like, oh my God, can you stop fixating on every dog? She would just it would just make her feel bad because now she's worried about the other dog and she's worried about why I'm stressed out, to be honest. So that's everything on neutrality. <laughs> long, long-winded, hopefully interesting. Um, let me look over a couple of these other questions that people, or training goals that people sent in. So not eating things on a walk, I feel like that's kind of a puppy issue. Uh, like I hear that a lot with puppies. If it's an older dog, then it's more behavioral. If it's a puppy, um, some of it is going to just be management and watching the floor and making sure they're not getting to things before you notice. Because as puppies, they're naturally just trying to figure out where they fit in in the world. And they're just um, going to be testing boundaries, honestly, until they're kind of forever though because dogs kind of do that but puppies do put a lot of things in their mouth so it can mean management it can mean you have to avoid certain areas if you possibly can it can mean you need like active distractions with you whether it's like food or toys or even like holding a shorter leash um when it comes to working with a puppy with an older dog it's probably more of a behavioral issue at that point it probably means that they're overstimulated what i find with dogs who are trying to pick up everything on walks that's when they're very overstimulated and they're just looking for an outlet so i do find that with one of my dogs when he's very excited in a new environment if he doesn't know what he's supposed to be doing he's looking for things to pick up now so that is something that is partially something that you can train but partially something that you can manage and redirect so you can give your dog a job that they can put their mind and their mouth to so like for my dog if he has his ball either he can hold it or I can throw it and he can be fetching it that will distract him he's not going to be looking for things to eat off the ground if he's got a ball to hold um, and then 
you can work on like the state of mind. So that would be like more engagement or more calmness training. That would be like actively training. Um, but I do think it is more of a symptom of them being overstimulated in the environment. At least that's my experience with that behavior. And another way that you can manage it for a lot of dogs is to use a head halter, like a gentle leader or a slip leash noseband. That's going to allow you to basically like keep control of their snout so they can't reach and eat anything. Or you could use a muzzle for that as well. But that is a really good training goal because obviously it's not fun when they do that. Okay, here's another one. Stopping mouthing out of excitement. Now, again, sounds like it could be a puppy behavior, but if it's not a puppy anymore, then it's more behavioral. With a puppy, again, it can be a lot of management because puppies are still learning to control the strength of their mouth. Definitely socializing them with really savvy older dogs is always beneficial because they'll help teach them bite inhibition, but also giving them an outlet like here, especially if it's a puppy because then they're teething so they their mouths are naturally needing stimulation but I would have like a bone on hand or a ball or something to redirect them to so they can have a healthy chewing outlet um, and when it comes to an older dog too I guess this relates both puppies and older dogs but be aware of how much excitement you're encouraging with your dog in the sense that like yeah it's fine for dogs to be excited um, there's a time and a place for it but there's boundaries to what's socially polite. And so if your dog's already starting to get amped, it's potent, like it is possible. I have seen dogs who mouth their handlers because their handlers are encouraging kind of like the wrong type of excitement, if that makes sense. Like I'll give you an example. You get home, your dog's excited to see you. You're like, hey buddy, how's it going? Hey buddy, and petting them. And then they start mouthing you. And that's where it's like, they were excited, but like they were rewarded for not rewarded that's the wrong word for it they were excited um and then a bunch more excitement was added into the situation and they don't really have another outlet for that excitement other than them using their mouth if that makes sense so sometimes it can be important as a handler to check and regulate what energy you're projecting onto your dog um and then the rest can be like an issue of socialization or um, having appropriate mouthing outlets because most dogs do have a strong instinct to obviously like mouth and chew things and and destroy stuff or whatever so redirection is always a good way to do it and then as a handler um, be aware of what you're projecting so for me too if I work with a dog that has a habit of mouthing when they're getting excited I'm going to make sure that I'm not adding any excitement and I'm going to do that before they start mouthing me. So if I'm greeting a dog and they're starting to get super hyped up just for me saying, oh, hey buddy, I'm not gonna add any, like I'm basically gonna either ignore the dog or just stay extremely calm and neutral until they settle and then take note of that, of like, okay, this dog has a low threshold for excitement during greetings, let's just say. Um, so yeah, that's that's kind of my thoughts on the mouthing and excitement. It's definitely... I, it can be a super, super frustrating issue. So I really get that. And um, yeah, it's not a fun thing to deal with, especially if it's a bigger dog. So I totally get it. And it can be very frustrating. And I understand that as well. So start to check in a lot with your energy, with how you're dealing with your dog's excitement. Like be 
you want them calmer, be calmer and then give them an outlet, like have something on hand you can redirect their mouthing to. That will help as well. It's possible that they're overall under or overstimulated. Maybe they need more rest. Maybe they need more exercise. You know, it could be a symptomatic thing as well, but that would be my immediate thoughts on that. Now, calm car rides. So without knowing... And this was the same person whose dog's mouthing. So I actually think there could probably be some tie-in here. Um, with the car rides, my lab used to have a lot of issues in the car, and he's doing very, very well now. I will say that my driving was part of the issue. I was not the best driver, not the smoothest driver, and um, definitely made a lot of sudden stops and turns and such. Really had to check that for him. So, well, I felt like I would say that. Um, how they get into the car can help. If they're super hyped getting into the car, it's not necessarily a bad thing, but it can be something to take note of. Maybe you want to sit in the driveway for a bit, let them settle down before you actually start driving. Um, you did say you want them still. So it could be something where you want to use a tether or a crate to help achieve that. And yeah, without really knowing too much more detail, that's the information I would give. I will say that if you are able to work through the mouthing, you can probably also work through the car rides. I do feel like those things are connected um, just because that's usually the case with dog behavior. Now, to get to a point where with our dog where we feel confident fostering again. So my advice for that, and actually since then, I know this person is fostering again, so congratulations. But so my advice for that would be to start with the easiest foster possible. Pick a foster dog that would be like the easiest possible match for your dog. So one that would be the easiest for them to accept. So you can think about what energy types your dog vibes with the best. Um, and I would go that way. Maybe even like, and this is what you did already. So <laughs> this is like not helpful or not necessary advice, but doing a temp foster like for a day or two. Um, but you've got this, your dog is really awesome. Uh, next one, building drive. So this is from somebody whose dog is a pet dog. Actually they work as a therapy dog, which is really cool. But they're not, I don't think they're necessarily looking to get into any serious dog sport or anything like that, more just for fun and, and for, you know, increased doing more activities with their dog. Uh, when it comes to building drive, so I will say, and I know this dog is a husky, so it's possible that you can... Um, look into like husky type activities such as pulling they might vibe with that more but i would look at how your dog acts with other dogs to get a sense of um what they might be interested in and what you can kind of use as a starting point for building drive and i say that because my lab um never seemed to have much drive with me but then i would notice that he would love certain things with other dogs he would love wrestling being chased he would play tug with other dogs and that's when I realized, oh, it's not that he doesn't like playing tug. It's just that he doesn't know to do that with me. So that gave me the inspiration to start playing tug with him. Um, when it comes to building the drive, you want to uh, give them easy wins. So you want them to be able to succeed at what they're doing. So that might mean breaking things down into really small steps. And you can capitalize on their excitement 
So if they are already excited, that might be a good time to start doing some higher drive activities. If you have a dog that's calm most of the time, like picking the times where they're excited can be really beneficial. And you can also um, start with food if your dog's not super into toys. So you can get them like chasing food and getting excited about food. Um, okay, let me see how long I've been talking. Quite a while, wow. I did not talk to a human all day today. So that, well, that's not true. I talked to, barely talked to a human all day today. So that is what this has turned into. Um, okay. I think I will leave it at that. This is already very long. It is very ranty. I hope it was interesting and informative nonetheless. I have plenty more training goals to discuss and just a lot of other dog topics in general to discuss. Um, I'm going to be recording a few of these just for background info, I guess, before I start to release them. So I don't know where in line this one will be, but it will be out. And if you made it this far, I very much appreciate you listening and joining me. And um, I encourage you to reach out. So I love hearing from people all the time. So if you want to send me an email or um, reach out to me in any other way through social media, all that information will be in the show notes. So I am very accessible. If you have a question for me, if you have feedback on the podcast, if you have a topic that you'd like discussed, or if you if there's somebody that you'd like me to talk to on here, I would be happy to hear it. So I will leave it at that for today. Thank you very much for listening.